morning, um, we're going to be wrapping up the series that Pastor Kevin's been going through on, on the gospel. And in the last about month, month and a half, he's been talking about our identity as followers of Jesus Christ and our gospel identity and what that means. And to, this morning, we're going to be talking about our gospel identity as worshipers, as people who worship God with our whole heart and our whole um, life. And so I want to begin talking about that this morning by getting us thinking about what is it that we value? What's important to us? What are the things that we hold dear? In our family, and maybe a lot of you have the same kind of tradition, we just came out of, obviously, the Thanksgiving holiday. And in our family, we have a tradition that as we sit down every year at that Thanksgiving meal, we go around the table and and we just share, what are we thankful for this year? What have we seen God do? What has he given us? How has he blessed us? that we can give thanks for, and everybody at the table has a chance, an opportunity to share what we're thankful for. And usually those things that we're thankful for revolve around the relationships and the family that we have and the the blessings that those people can be in, in our lives. Because those things usually that we are most thankful for are the things that we value the most and the things that we hold the most. And at different times in our lives, those things can change. I mean, if you stop and think about over the course of your life, maybe what was the most valuable thing that you owned, that you possessed, you know, kind of moving away from relationships, which we would probably all value above most everything else. But materially, what was maybe the most valuable thing you possessed or you owned? I remember when I was a kid, the most valuable thing that I owned was probably my baseball card collection. And I remember every week saving my allowance and getting that quarter of my allowance so that I could take that and I could go to the corner grocery store or go to the um, little convenience stores across the street from my grade school and buy a pack of baseball cards for a quarter. Yes, I am that old. That baseball cards cost a quarter for a pack when I was a kid. I think now you can get them like five bucks if you get the premium packs and stuff. But, you know, and that, that's what I would do. And I, I saved up my money and I got this and I had a collection of you know, a couple thousand probably baseball cards when I was in grade school. And then I got into junior high and high school and I discovered music. And I loved music and I loved listening to music. So I remember vividly taking all those thousands of baseball cards that I'd saved all my money for and dumping them all into a grocery stack and taking them and setting them on a table at a garage sale and selling thousands of baseball cards to some stranger for 20 bucks. And that kills me today because those cars were probably worth $1,000 or more now. But I sold them for 20 bucks so I could go out and I could buy some music. Cassette tapes. Yes, I'm that old that I bought music on cassette tapes and listened to it because CDs didn't exist back then. But and then I got into college and I had my music, but I needed something better to listen to it on. So I remember going out and getting my first credit card so I could buy a stereo. So I could listen to that music and listen to it loud. And me and my roommate from college, we we still, he has a stereo that we had in his his parents' house still. And it's still got the little fine slips on it that we got because we played our music too loud. And they could hear it clear down at the cafeteria during dinner time. Because we liked our music. We liked to listen to it loud. And then today, you know, things change again. And... Today, probably possession-wise, the thing that I value the most, not because it's the most valuable thing that I own, but it's what I value the most, is probably my books. And one of the most, 
I have painful things for me about not being in, in full-time ministry and having a, an office that I can set myself up in is the fact that I've got 20 boxes of books in my basement that are sitting there that if I, like when Kevin asks me to preach, like I'm going to have the opportunity to do for the next couple of weeks, if there's a book that I need, I mean, I've, I've got a little tiny closet. Some of you probably have a walk-in closet at your house that's bigger than the closet that I call my office at home <laughs> in my little man cave. And pretty much any flat surface that's in there, I've already got covered with books, and I still have those 20 boxes in the basement. So when I'm preparing for a sermon, and I need to find a book or a commentary on a specific book or something in the Bible, I can't tell you how many hours I spend going through 20 different boxes of books looking for that one or two books. Um, that I'm after, but I, I love books, and I love going out and find them. When we lived in Portland, my favorite place to go was Powell's used bookstore down there. I mean, I could go there and spend hours. I still love to find, that's one of my, my favorite things to do now, is to go and to find a, a great um, used bookstore and, and try and find some used books, although I don't buy nearly as many as I do because, of course, I've got 20 boxes in my basement that I don't have anywhere to put, so there's not really much point in buying new ones. But stop and think about that for yourself. What are the most valuable things that you own, that you possess? And, and one way to think about that and maybe to answer that, that question is for you. What is it that you spend your money on? What is it that you spend your time on? What is it that you today are investing your life in? Because the thing you spend your time on, the thing you spend your money on, the thing you invest your life in, that is most likely the thing that is most valuable um, to you. And this morning, I want us to stop and think about in the area of worship. The thing that we worship in our life is truly going to be the thing that is the most valuable to us. And so we're going to look at, in the area of worship, three questions that I want us to answer this morning. And the first one is, what is worship? The second question we're going to talk about is, why do we worship? And the third question is, how do you worship? And my goal this morning is that by the time we're done, we're all going to understand, it, understand that we worship whatever it is that we value. We value what we invest our life in. So if we answer the question, what are you investing your life in? It's because that is what it is that you truly worship. And see, for some people, that might come as a little bit of a shock or a little bit of a surprise. Because when we hear the word worship, for a lot of people, the first thing that's going to come into your mind if you've been in church for any length of time is you're going to think about music. And we come to church and we sit down and we sing songs and that's the worship time of our church. We gather together for a worship service. We sing a few songs. And then we, so we, now we've worshiped. Now we're going to listen to what Pastor Kevin has to say. But the reality is that worship is so much broader than just sitting down or standing up and singing a few songs. If we understand that what the Bible teaches us about worship. Worship includes all of that. It includes our singing. It includes hearing the, the, the message of, of God um, brought from his word. 
But it is so much more than, than that. We, we all need to understand that worship involves every aspect of our life. All of it. All of our life should be lived, and we should understand that it is an act of worship. So let's dig into that. Let's answer a couple of those questions about worship. And the first one is, what is worship? How do we take a word like worship and define it? And coming up with a comprehensive definition of a word like worship can be a little difficult because worship is really a multifaceted word. It's like, it's like one of those gemstones that you take and you turn it, and every time you turn it and every different angle you look at it from, you're going to see something a little bit different about it. And worship has a lot of those types of aspects to it. And so I think the best place to start is by looking at the words that the Bible uses, that are translated worship. And so there's three words that I want to help you um, look at this morning. One from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament, that are all translated worship in the Bible. And the first one comes from the Old Testament, and it's the Hebrew word shakah. And shakah means to prostrate oneself, to bow in homage to, or to do reverence. And one example of how that word is used in the Old Testament is from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 18, where the prophet writes, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And that worshiping the Lord, they fell down and they bowed before the Lord, worshiping that shakah, is to fall down on our face. And it carries the idea, shakah carries the idea of falling on our face before God. And it could be literally as it is in this passage, and I think we would probably all benefit from spending more time on our face, prostrate before God in, in that posture of humility. Because when we fall before God, we take that posture of humility, it reminds us of who God is. That He is a holy, almighty God. That He is so far above us, so much greater and mightier, and more awesome than we can even begin to imagine. And so taking that posture, whether it's literally or just figuratively, bowing your head and in our hearts, humbling ourselves before God and remembering who He is. And, and we can do that through, through singing, you know, like, like the song we opened with, of just remind, being reminded of who God is, of His faithfulness, of the things that he has done, how he has proven himself faithful time and time and time again. And we can be humble before him and bow our heads and say, God, I know you've done it before and I know that you are faithful and you will do it again. So we can do it through singing. We can do it through prayer as we humble ourselves before him. We can do it in that physical posture. We can do it through our words and just acknowledging who God is, acknowledging his attributes, his person, his character. So that's the idea of, of shakah, to prostrate oneself, to humble oneself. In the New Testament, we have a couple more words that are translated um, as worship. And the first one is proskuneo. And it, it means, this, again, once again, to prostrate oneself, to do obedience to do reverence. And we find that, first of all, in, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And this is from the Christmas story, which we're going to start looking at next week. And in the Christmas story, one of the things we see is the wise men, when they come to see Jesus after he's been born, 
And they come to the house where Mary and Joseph are, are living at the time. And they come in and they see Jesus. It says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. So similar to the meaning of Shekah in the Old Testament, proskuneo is literally means to, to, to fall down again. In, in the Greek, it's the idea of to, to kiss towards. And it's the idea of like, um, if you were going to meet um, a, a person of royalty, like a king, and they were to reach out their hand to you, and you would bow your head and kiss their ring. That's literally the idea that, that, that's carried in, in, in this word. Um, or, if, you know, bowing before a king. It's that, that idea, that symbol, once again, of bowing, prostrating yourself before someone as a symbol of humility because you recognize their position. And so you demonstrate reverence and submission and humility. It's the kind of worship we have that begins with a proper um, attitude as we recognize God and we recognize who he is and who we are. And then the third word to just kind of lay this foundation for what is worship as we talk about it this morning is latrueo. And latrueo, we find it in the book of Romans, um, chapter 11. Um, actually, it's in chapter 12, but I'm going to read um, chapter 11, verse 36. But latrueo literally means to serve or to render religious service. And so this is what Paul writes and where he uses that word. Um, Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that should make it clear that worship isn't just about that, that humble attitude and coming and, and, and bowing before God, but it's about every aspect of our life and how we live. It's not just singing and praying, but it includes our service to God, our lifestyles. Everything we do each and every day should be an act of worship. So if we take all three of those words that we have used for worship in the Bible, we start to understand the idea that, that worship begins with our reverence for God. And it flows out of that reverence for God because of who He is. And then our response of worship includes, in, in humility, our obedience to God. It includes singing. It includes prayer. It includes our service. It can ultimately include everything that we do. So those are some of the acts that express worship. But why? Why are we called to worship? That's the second question I want us to look at this morning. And the most, most basic answer to why we worship is that we worship God because we recognize that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And, and if we look back at just the origins of where this word for worship comes from in the English language, I think that becomes e even more clear. The word worship that we have today comes from an old English word called, I don't even know if I can pronounce this, we oath scripe. That's the old English word for, that, that, that has become worship. 
and probably because they couldn't pronounce it either, they changed it to worth-ship. Worth-ship. And that ultimately became shortened down to what we use today as worship, which literally means to ascribe worth. So when we worship, we are ascribing worth to whatever or whoever we are worshiping. And ideally, that should be God. Because we worship whatever it is that we value. We worship whatever it is that is of worth to us. So whatever it is that we ascribe that worth to, that is what we worship. And, and like I said earlier, wor- worship's a, a multifaceted word, like that gym that we turn and we look at from a lot of different perspectives. And, and there's all these different specti- perspectives of it and aspects to it, and as we study it more, we begin to grasp more of the beauty and the awe and the wonder of it. So one last facet of this idea of worship that I want to talk about before we get into some real practical um, parts of how we worship and what that looks like is, is that idea, though, of how we worship. And as we look at how we're going to worship, I want to start with another definition from the theologian Wayne Grudem of worship. And Wayne Grudem defines worship this way. He says, worship is the act of glorifying God. So what does it mean to glorify God? How do we give God the glory? And to understand that, we have to understand what glory is. And glory is another one of those multifaceted words. You could spend an entire sermon or two or three or four talking about glory and what it means to give glory to God and what the glory of God is. But I just want to focus for our purposes this morning of giving glory to God and, and worshiping Him on one aspect of what glory is. And that one aspect of glory refers to the idea of prominence or preeminence. You know, the Bible talks about the glory of different kings, and it's referring to their, their position. They had a p- position of prominence or, or preeminence. And so in our lives, the thing that we give glory to, in the same way we talked about that what we worship is what we place our value in, what you give glory to is whatever it is in your life that you put in that position of prominence or that position of preeminence. The thing that you treasure most deeply, deeply, whatever is the focus of your passion, your longing, your desires, or your enthusiasm. Whatever that is in your life, that is what you are giving glory to. That is what you are worshiping. So who or what is in that position in your life of receiving glory? And it brings us back to the question that I started with this morning of What is the most important thing or person in your life? Because if we're serious about glorifying God, if we're serious about worshiping Him, we will live every day and make decisions every day based on Him being what's most important in our life. Because we want to be a people as followers of Jesus Christ who worship Him. And because of that, we need to understand that we worship what we value, whatever is of worth to us. So whatever that most important thing in our life is, that's what we worship. And that choice of what we worship shows up in those decisions we make every day. Because each and every one of us, we are finite, created beings. We have limited resources. We have limited amount of time. We all have limited amount of money, a limited amount of energy. 
So each and every day of your life, you and I make decisions that say, this is where I'm going to invest my time, my money, my resources, my energy. I'm going to choose not to do this thing over here so that I can do this. I'm not going to give my money in this place so that I can give my money and my time and my energy to these causes or to these activities, to these things that, that, that matter. I'm going to make sacrifices in my life in this area so that I can worship this here, whatever it is. And when we make those choices, ideally we are conscious that we're making those choices and we're choosing who or what it is that we're going to worship, that we're going to give honor and that we're going to give um, glory to, that we're going to ascribe worth to, that we're going to say this is what it is that has supreme value in my life. And we all make those decisions all the time, each and every day, whether we realize it or not. And those decisions that you make on how to spend your time, your money, your resources, everything that you have, those are worship decisions. Those decisions reflect and demonstrate what it is that you worship in our life. And they show up on your calendar. They're going to show up in your bank account balance. They're going to show up in your email inbox at work. Those decisions show up everywhere. Because our life ultimately comes down to making those decisions and not doing something so that we can do other things that we see as being more worthy, more prominent, and more worthy of worship. Because we worship the things that we value and whatever is of worth to us, that's what we value and that's what we invest in. And that's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 12 that we already looked at. Verse 1, he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And in our lives, there is someone or there is something that is being glorified every day. There's someone or something that we're going to choose to sacrifice for so that they receive glory, and that is what we worship. And whatever it is that we choose to make those sacrifices for, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ or not. Whatever you're sacrificing for, that's what you worship. Because we were all created to be beings who worship. And ideally, we were created to be beings who worship God. But because we live in a fallen world, because of sin in the world, there are many times in our life, whether you're a Christian or not, you choose to worship something, and all too often, what we choose to worship is not God. It may be our money, it may be our possessions, it may be our family, it could be our spouse, it could be our kids, it could be our friends, it could be a position of, of power and importance. The, the, the list goes on and on and on and on of things that people have used to replace God as the one that's in that position of preeminence and prominence and worth and value in our life. But we were created and called to be people who worship God and have God in that position of preeminence and power and hold Him in that place of esteem and worth in our life. 
So what does that look like? If we're going to be a people of worship who hold God in that place where he is the one that we worship, he is the one that we glorify, what is that going to look like? How do we live that kind of a daily lifestyle of worship where we move beyond just we come to church and we worship on Sunday morning and then we go and we live our life the rest of the week? That's not the biblical model for worship. The biblical model for worship is every day, everywhere you go, everything you do is an act of worship. So how do we live that kind of life? A couple verses, I think, that really highlight that for us. The first one is in Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And this is the prophet Micah writing, um, God is giving him the words to say to the children of Israel. And he writes this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of the world? I mean, if you're going to take that and translate it into the, the vernacular of today, you'd be saying, what does God really want? What kind of worship does he want? Does he want me to come and be a part of the worship team or come and just sing really loud on a Sunday morning and give a huge check and drop that in the offering and just be here at church every time the doors are open and, and just act like, you know, throw my hands up and just worship? And is that, what, is that truly all that God wants from me in worship? Is that what God wants? And Micah goes on to say that that is not primarily what God asks for in worship. More importantly, God wants us to live a life of worship and the other aspects of worship are going to flow out of that. Because listen to what he says at the end of that passage. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. When we understand who God is and we have that position where we humble ourselves before Him, then our worship and our actions throughout the week flow out of that. And then when we gather together on a Sunday morning, our worship isn't just something that we come here and we do for an hour and then we go home. But our worship is the continuation of the choices that we've made all throughout the week of elevating God and and holding Him that position of worth and value as the most important in our life. And then you're not just coming to church and singing some songs and saying, okay, for this one hour, God, yeah, my focus is going to be on you. But it's throughout the week my focus has been on you, God, as I've been living a life of worship. And now I can gather together with the body of Christ. And we together can all lift up our voices and exalt you and lift you up as we worship together. Same idea in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We've already looked at the first part of it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? That's the kind of worship that God seeks. Worship from his people as a lifestyle. Because he desires for us to be people who stand for justice, who show kindness, who walk humbly, 
who are not conformed to the world, but are allowing him to transform us by the renewing of our mind and by doing his will. So, so as I try to bring this home, I want to get real practical for us because there are countless ways that we can worship God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's saying, everything you do in your life, whether it's going out on Thanksgiving morning and playing in a turkey bowl, whether it's you know, sitting down with your family to eat a meal, going to your, your job on, on Monday morning, whatever it is, everything you do in your life can and should be an act of worship where you are bringing honor and glory to God through your life. Every single thing we do, if it's done for God's glory, if it's done to exalt Him and to show the world that he is the one that's in that position of being in first place in our life, the one that we value the most. Every part of that can be an act of worship. So let me get real practical of what that might look like in our lives. And I just want to give you nine practical ways, and I'm going to go through these real quick this morning, but nine practical ways that you can live a life of worship. And I'm just going to give you a bullet point here and kind of a verse that just kind of explains that. And not go into a lot of explanation because hopefully most of these will be um, pretty self-explanatory. But I think a practical lifestyle of worship has to start here. And it has to start with the idea of confession. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talking to his disciples. And he says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Confession, come and offer your gift. So confession for us, if we are truly going to worship God, Jesus says very plainly, before he wants our worship, we need to be right with other people in the world. So if there is something between you, particularly between you and a brother or sister in Christ, you need to do everything in your power to be reconciled to that person. And then you can go and begin to live that kind of a lifestyle of worship. Because confession has to be a prerequisite for worship. Before we can worship, our hearts must be right um, before God and have those relationships made right. Um, The second practical way you can live a life of worship is music. One of the things that I love to do on my job sometimes is pop a, a, a CD of, of worship music in, in, the, in the CD player. Because for me, that helps recalibrate my heart and my mind and put the focus where it needs to be on God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So worshiping through music and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs doesn't just have to happen when we gather on Sunday morning. There's a lot of times I know when uh, Jake is sending out the newsletter that there's links in there to some new songs maybe that we're going to be learning. And you can have a playlist on YouTube that would play for you all these different songs that we, that we sing here together corporately on a Sunday morning. And you can go and you can listen to those and you can be singing and worshiping in that way in your day-to-day life. Third way we can live a life of worship is through thanksgiving. And obviously we had an opportunity to just practice that the last couple days. 
as we celebrated the Thanksgiving holiday, but that should not be just something we do once a year. Thanksgiving and giving thanks to God for what he has done should be part of our everyday life. I mean, a couple verses that, that talk about that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So thanksgiving should be a daily part of our life. Giving and, and, and sacrifice should be, is another way we can daily practice um, living a life of worship. Listen to this story. This is from um, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus is with his disciples in the temple. And people are coming and they're giving their offerings. Listen to what happens. So this is Jesus is talking about. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who contributed to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. So as we give, and we give sacrificially, daily, that can be a part of our act of worship. Spending time studying His Word is another way we can practically live a life of worship. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can also live a life of worship as we not only study his word, but we meditate on his word. And we, we focus on it. Um, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So as we study God's word, keep those things in mind. Focus on them. Meditate on them. Um, Journaling or blogging about your walk with Christ is another way that, way that you can daily um, live that kind of a lifestyle of worship. And I, I won't read a specific passage, but just go and read through the entire book of Psalms. Because that's basically David, in, in an essence, journaling about what's going on in his life and through the events of his life, giving honor and glory to God. And so write about the things that happen in your life and how you see God work, and remember those things, and give him the glory for that. Um, Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verses 14 to 21, tell us that prayer is a part of living that lifestyle of worship. And, and this is just one example. If you read through the letters of Paul in the New Testament, there's many, many examples of Paul worshiping God through his prayers. And this is just one example of one of Paul's prayers uh, of worship and thanksgiving. Paul writes, um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the powers that are at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you're struggling maybe at some times to find the words to pray and to worship God during your week, there are a number of prayers like that that you can just read and pray along with Paul as a part of your daily worship of God. And the final one that we've been talking about all morning is just living that lifestyle of heart worship. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, um, what the Israelites would have called the Shema, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's the lifestyle that we are called. Living a lifestyle of heart worship is every day living and remembering that we are called, we are commanded to love God with everything that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and live a lifestyle that reflects that, reflects his character as we worship him throughout the day. So that's how we're called to worship him um, throughout the week. And then as we live that way individually throughout the week, then every week on Sunday, we come and we gather together corporately to worship. And it's not that when we come and we gather together corporately, then if we're living this way throughout the week, we're living that lifestyle of heart worship, then we come together on Sunday and it's not a change or a shift in our perspective. It's not that we have to alter what we're thinking and say, oh, I need to recalibrate and make sure that God's the one that I'm ascribing worth to and giving glory to. But we've been doing that all week and now we all as a body can come together. And our corporate worship is simply the body of Christ gathering together to do what we have all been doing individually throughout the week. So just really quickly to wrap up, I just want to give you four real practical tips for when you come together and we worship together as a body. How do we truly worship and practice that kind of corporate worship? What, what does that look like for us? And the first thing that we have to do is we have to remember when we come together, remember who we are worshiping. And if we're living a lifestyle of worship throughout the week, this should be easy. But we need to remember that worship is not for us. It's not about us. When we gather as a body, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about, is the band going to sing my favorite songs this week? It's not about, you know, is, is Pastor Kevin here to speak or do we get the B team this week? You know, it, it's not anything like that. It's about we are coming together to worship God and to focus on Him because it's all about Him. When you sing, you're not singing for your neighbor. So it doesn't matter if you have the greatest voice in the world or not because it shouldn't matter what the person sitting in front of you thinks. Because if their heart and mind's in the right place, they're not really listening to you anyway. They're focused on worshiping God. And so sing. Make a joyful noise. Even if it's not the most beautiful noise, to God's ears, it's a joyful noise and it is beautiful because it's coming 
from your heart. So sing for God. Sing with all that you are. Because we recognize who we are and we humble ourselves before Him and we recognize who He is. The Holy, Almighty, Infinite, Eternal, All-Powerful, Everywhere, Present, One True God, the Creator of the universe. That's who we gather to worship. So number one, remember who you're worshiping. Number two, remember that worship is not a spectator sport. All too often people come to church on a Sunday morning and, and they come and they kind of think of it like a play where you're going to come, you're going to sit in the pews and you're going to watch what happens up here. If that's the attitude that you come in with, I hate to say this, but you're wrong. When you come in, you are not the audience for worship. You are the ones who are the participants. You are the ones that God is watching. When we come to worship, God is our audience. The people up here in front, they're just the ones who are prompting us, of saying, this is where we're going this morning as we worship. Right now, we're going to worship God because He's the one who moves mountains. And so we, as a congregation, are excited as we think about the mountains that God has moved and we lift up His name and we glorify Him for that. You're not here as a spectator. You are the primary participant in the worship service this morning. And God is the audience. We are here to worship and to lift Him up and to glorify Him. So if we understand that, we understand that God's watching, that we're coming before Him, we remember who He is, then we have to realize that if you're coming in and you're the participant, you can't just come in here cold and just expect to be ready to play. If you're truly the participant, if this isn't a spectator sport, there's got to be like for a football game, you've got to warm up before you get here so you're prepared. You need to prepare your hearts before you walk through those doors. Or when you walk through those doors and you sit down, spend a moment or two to prepare your heart. Remember what the verse we looked at back in Matthew chapter 5 a little bit earlier, where Jesus says, if you're bringing your sacrifice at the temple and you remember your brother has something against you, before you come and worship and offer your sacrifice, make it right. Before you come in on a Sunday morning, before you can really enter in and worship, if you have broken relationships in your life, someone that you've had a disagreement or argument with, maybe you and your spouse or you and one of your kids got in a fight on the way to church, Make that right so that your heart is prepared as you come to worship Him. So come, make right any broken relationships. Come eagerly. Be excited about the opportunity to be here and to come together and to worship with other believers. And that leads into the final thing. When you come and you worship, we need to be prepared. We need to be, know that we're participants. We need to, we need to be, be ready to do it. Remember who God is. And then when you're here, don't do it halfway. Don't just kind of come and, and, and mumble the words and just kind of sit here and just float through it. Engage in what's going on. Remember who it is that we're singing for. It's the God of the universe. He is here and He desires our worship. Do you realize that there are very few things the Bible tells us that God actively seeks? And you know what one of those things that God actively seeks is? When Jesus talks to the woman of the well in John chapter 4, 
he says that God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. God seeks people who worship him. He desires your worship. He seeks it out. He wants that. So come and worship wholeheartedly. When you sing, pay attention to the words. Sing from your heart. Don't just you know, let them kind of go in, in one ear and out the other. This is worship. This is the things that are prompting you to respond to different aspects of who God is and His character and what He's done. So if, you're, if we're singing a song and for whatever reason something's happened this week and you're not feeling it, at least for me, from my perspective, I would say I'd rather you not sing than fake it and go through the motions and pretend. If you're not feeling it, if something's just not connecting with you, maybe that's a prompting from God that there's something in your life that you need to be thinking about and praying about and working through and dealing with. And if we do sing, sing it out with your whole heart. When Pastor Kevin gets up to speak, be engaged with the message because that is still a part of worship as we dive into his word. So listen to what he says. Follow along. Take notes. And then respond to what God's teaching you. He's not just getting up here every Sunday to just communicate a lot of information so that you guys know more about the Bible. When he's teaching, he is teaching because God's word can change and transform our lives. So every week when you go home on a Sunday morning, your question should be, from what I heard and what I experienced this morning at Restoration Church, God, how are you wanting to change my life? How do I respond to that this week? What should I change in my life? What should I do differently? How should I live? How should I act? And think about how you can apply those things and live differently.